This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. Every year, with weeks, you know, days before the AFLW Grand Final, women don't know where they're playing. It's just not good enough when you think that they got over 50,000 a few years ago to the Adelaide Oval. It's actually beyond grumpy. It's deeply concerning. It is a deeply concerning yes. grumpy today. It's a bit, of a bit shallow to say, well, I'm grumpy about it, isn't it? <laughs> Particularly if there are dreadful accidents. Well, I don't know who to be grumpy with. It's not Mother Nature's fault. It's no. not the councils either because I'm sure they're all doing their best. We see a nun walk out of a pizza shop holding a pizza with big black headphones on. It was just one of the more bizarre things I've ever seen. Anyway, it's like the I beginning mean, of a joke. I mean, why shouldn't nuns eat pizza? It wasn't that. I think it was a big black headphones. <laughs> I think that's our episode title, isn't it? Bad workman blames his tools, but a bad Scrabble player can legitimately blame their letters because that can be very, very disappointing. Vowels. Too many in the world. Don't shoot the messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 244 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. Hello, Corrie Perkin. Hello, Caroline Wilson. We've had a big week. We've done a lot. We've done a lot together, which we'll talk about in a moment. We've been to the closing night of the British Film Festival. We're going to review that film together. We've had a Scrabble tournament. Did... Who who won? Oh, sorry, sorry. Um... Um. Just kidding. Who won Who won the individuals? Libby, our friend, won the individual tournament. Who won the doubles, I wonder? I think my, me and Nikki won the doubles. Oh, and, did you? Um, I oh. might have come second to Libby, which I'm treating as coming first because she is an absolute champion. Look, um, Kai, I, I, before... came for, I came first last year. You did, I know. I know. I re- we... But I had a terrible, I had a terrible outing this weekend. Whoa. It's like I have a, to bad, have a good hard look at myself. A bad workman blames his tools, but a bad Scrabble player can legitimately blame their letters because that can be very, very disappointing. Vowels. Too many in the world. Corrie, we have an announcement to make. We're having another event before our Christmas breakup. In fact, we are having a Christmas breakup and we would like everyone to come along. We're having a morning tea in the studio. And it's going um, to be very tight. Well, not, Where will they all sit? not this particular studio. We're going to be downstairs <gasps> in the grown-up studio in South Melbourne, <gasps> with the little little um, glass window, so people can see us and we can wave. Well, can't they come in with us, Miss Jane? Can't they come oh, and sit not with that us? Big. Absolutely. Look, we it's might shuffle big. some people in if they've got a great story to tell or a question, perhaps. It's Wednesday, <laughs> the fourteenth of December. Um, I think it's 10.15, is that correct, Corrie? And that's at our South Bank Studios, Miss Jane. Yeah, so uh, quarter past 10 for a 10.30 podcast. We're going to record while people enjoy and have a cuppa and maybe some chicken sandwiches. Yes, Joe, Joe our slave, our friend, is making the chicken sandwiches. The famous chicken sandwiches. The famous, and, and I think I, I think I might have convinced her to come on air and give the recipe. Yes. Well, she's very nervous, but we'll, we'll, well, we'll whip her into action. That's a bit naughty given that she... Probably got it from me in the first place. <laughs> or else you, maybe, might, you might have got it from her. I never, never did. Like but that ma- lime and coconut cake. Maybe. No, I'm completely giving her the credit for that one. Maybe she um, has her own little 
Twist. <laughs> yep, as there always are with chicken sandwiches. Anyway, yes, morning tea, a chicken sandwich. That'll be so much fun. So everybody more come goodies, along. More we're going giveaways. to have a cu- we're going to have a couple of, um, of of guests. We're hoping that your mum Julia is going to come along and give us some more Christmas fun, like she does each year. And Anna from um, the op shop might call in. She might call in. We um, might have a few. Our friend Claire. Might she have some more of those beautiful botanical face oils? That would be a great well, it, giveaway. Miss Jane is organising the goodie bags as we speak. Behind the scenes uh, discussions are being had, Caro, for our favourite new product before Christmas. Um, but there are limited spaces. Like we, we can't, you know, put 200 people there. I was going to say, there. the studio's not that So big, this Jane. is an intimate chance to come and uh, see how it all works behind the scenes in podcast world as well. We're going to do a little Q&A. If you've got a GLT or a tip or a recommendation, we'd love to hear them as well. But you do need to book show notes for the link or you can email me just feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au just shoot me an email I'll send you the link we'll make sure you can book easily um, but don't forget seating is limited otherwise Carol and I there'll be no room for us that which would be most disappointing and rather defeat the purpose Corrie Yatesy 72 via Insta loves Richard Osman as much as me I just urge you Corrie to give these books a chance um, I, I really do the, the Thursday Murder Club uh, just so enjoyable, and he's already working on the next one. Thank the Lord! I can't wait for it to be a TV series or maybe a telly movie or whatever it's going to be. But um, these characters are so wonderful, and the storylines are so clever. I actually sort of, kind of, maybe picked one of the um, crims in this one, but it's not about murder mysteries. It's about a group of people and friendships. And life, and they're just wonderful. Anyway, so thanks, Yatesy72. Um, Selenarius via Insta, another excellent episode, says Culinarius. Oh, thank you very much, Culinarius. Love the brief discussion of favourite Helen Garner books. What an astonishing talent. Isn't it time some eminent person nominated Ms Garner for a Nobel? Well, she's won pretty much every other award, hasn't she? Um Leanne Embry via Instagram wonders what our opinion is on the quality of state election advertising. That was interesting, um, that Liberal candidate who actually used his own electoral staff to do the ads, (laughs) posing as... um, Voters, um, legitimate voters. I mean, that well, was, they are voters, but yes. Look, let's face it. Actually, I've got an amazing independent voter. I've got to wait for the amazing fact this week. I've done a bit okay. of a deep dive, as my kids would say, into this topic. But um, but Leanne Embry wants to know how they legally get away with using edited responses to questions not directly asked of the opposition candidate in their ads. Love your pod, Leanne. Thank well, there's you. There's a lot Leanne. of editing, I think, that goes on, Leanne, in uh, in in the world of political advertising. Uh, a little plug, please, for me, Caro, and the book pod is up a new episode, Sam Vincent, who is a charming gentleman. He is a writer and a farmer, and he's written a great book called My Father and Other Animals, How I Took on the Family Farm. And we've recorded that episode and it has just dropped. So if you haven't subscribed to the book pod and you love a bit of a book chat, we would love you to join our gang over there on the book pod. Caro, it's been a very busy week and I'm kind of exhausted. I've done a country trip, which I'll talk about in a minute. But I want to talk to you, first of all. I'm um, only interested in what you bring back from your country trip. And when I mean, I mean recipes. So I hope you've got one. Recipes, yes. Um, Sadly, uh, appearing yet again at the wonderful Napier Club in Hamilton, no Topsy's biscuits. And I, I saw Topsy in the kitchen and I said, I've only come to this event so I can have a jar of your beautiful biscuits. And she said, no, 
Jen's done the Florentines this year, so anyway, the Florentines were amazing. But oh, that, I love that's Florentines. Not, that's not my recipe. But I wanted to talk to you about this whole idea of betting and cheating in sport and in particular this AFL umpire scandal and how the Brownlow medal voting system works. For those who are unfamiliar with the Brownlow medal, which is the preeminent award in uh, that an AFL senior footballer um, can receive and it's always awarded on the Monday or sometimes Sunday night before the grand final. Uh, can you tell us how that system works and what has happened? Well, it is, it is a bit like shooting Bambi, the fact that, um, you know, betting has made its way into Australian rules footy in the past and players have been suspended for betting on games, um, for tipping off friends about the fact that they might be playing in a certain position and potentially kicking the first goal. This is sometimes it's been, well, it's been explained away as an honest mistake. But um, the, the main point is you are not allowed to bet on footy if you play footy, if you're an official at a football club. Um, even journalists now have to sign a code of conduct before they start reporting every year because of, you know, the the danger of corruption in sport. And the AFL has, I mean, the AFL are in bed with the betting agencies, let's face it, and they get an enormous amount of money from their their gambling sponsorships and betting sponsorships. And it's terrible the way children are corrupted, really, from an early age on the AFL website. It's quite shameful, I think. I have this argument with Craig Hutchison every year. But the AFL say that because of these close relationships, they are alerted to suspicious activity earlier. Now, I, I don't buy that excuse. I mean, I think if a betting agency finds suspicious activity, you would think um, they, they would want to alert you anyway because they don't want to be paying off, you know, paying giving out big payouts. Clearly, I'm not a gambler. You can tell by the vernacular I'm using. So... An AFL umpire was one of four people arrested last week. Um, he's a young new umpire called Michael Pell. Um, the betting activity involved a few games. Any relation, do we think? What, to George Pell? Oh, I don't know. Well, it's not a common name. Look, probably somewhere back in the ether the Pells were related, but I'm not sure about that. This particular umpire, I think, officiated on the Queen's Birthday Monday game between Collingwood and Melbourne. There were some unusual votes given that day and some big bets made shortly afterwards. Michael Pell and three others um, were arrested last week and this is basically the first time an umpire has been linked with um, the leaking of votes. Now, votes have leaked out before. In the past, they used to leak out all the time. After every game, the umpires officiating in the game and there are two key umpires give votes so they give it on a 3-2-1 basis. And on the night of the Brownlow, which you're right, it was Sunday night this year for a myriad of um, reasons um, to do with moving games around and the fact that COVID got involved. And, oh, look, I, I can't remember all the details. But anyway, it was held on the Sunday night. Two security guards arrived. It's always my, one of my favourite parts yeah, and of they're, the Brownlow. And they're always carrying. And I just always find carrying it extraordinary it. that these <laughs> all locked up, people all with boys. guns arrive in this massive room. And, and it used to be Jill Lindsay would receive the box on that part of her desk, her voting desk. Do you remember? Up she on always the stage. Had a, she always had a lovely, bright sort of <laughs> silk or satin frock on. And then these two early security guys with the box of Brownlows, which we always assumed after the game, the the umpires would somehow put them into that box and nobody, not to be seen, not to be counted. 
So the umpires meet after the game. They decide on the votes. Who knows whether they look at the stats? They probably do. The the Brownlow was criticised quite legitimately because the the winners are only ever midfielders, mm. and you know people like Lance Franklin and Wayne Carey, you know, never got a look in. Because the, the umpires are always where the action is and it's usually in the centre of the ground. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. So so the question would be, uh, that would be my... Uh, Even cool. Ruckman barely used to win it but don't anymore. That's kind Late of my question. Re- never get reading, votes. reading this story, is it appropriate that umpires are, uh, uh, give the votes? Yes, it is. I mean, who who else is going well, to do you could, it? you could do it like the um, Norm Smith medal on grand final day. You could ask three for yeah, three experts or four no. commentators or something. The, 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 the mystique and the romance around the Brownlow is what it is for a reason. And the umpires are there within the thick of it. I don't agree with the fact that midfielders always win it. Um, a club best and fairest is really your best indication of how good a player really is and how important he is to the team. But the fact is, it's the most prestigious individual award in footy. It was controversial this year anyway, because Patrick Cripps won it and was suspended by the AFL and had his suspension by the tribu- by the match review panel, had his suspension overturned. Um, in a decision that even Gillan McLaughlin scoffed at, how ridiculous it was that Patrick Cripps got off. But he did get off and he won the Brownlow. Now, if you've been suspended, you can't win the Brownlow. So slightly controversial, but a worthy winner, great champion, great player. And now, you know, it's been corrupted by this one particular umpire. Now, they all signed something at the start of the year saying they're going to keep this secret. Michael Pell might have said to the police that he'd stupidly mentioned to a friend or a group of blokes about these votes. It so was, this is a criminal offence likely to go through the court system. What's the What would be the sentence? Don't know. I would don't, it be financial? It wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't be a, a sentence in the clink, would it? Look, clearly Michael Pell will never umpire an AFL game again. He'll be, and, you know, it's a, it's a pity because it's really hard to find good young umpires and he's gone. I mean, there's no way he could now be allowed to come back into the system. Although but, a few a few footballers with with um, misdemeanours have ended up back in the commentary box. Well, in the commentary box, but this is going back into the job where you actually did something that you really, really shouldn't have done, and in fact could have corrupted the process and certainly affected the betting. So it's it's really, really disappointing. It's brought up the whole issue again about whether it should be umpires who vote. In NRL, I think it's journos who vote on the Dally M, which is their sort of Brownlow. It hasn't got the prestige of the Brownlow medal. It just doesn't. And this is one of the top rating TV events of the year. I'm not sure if it rated that well this year. Can't remember. But it's just a massive, massive event. And it's just yet another black mark that began really with the Hawthorne racism scandal. That story, that story broke at the start of that broke on the Monday after the Brownlow medal count was held on the Sunday night. Mm. And since then, it's just all been oh, downhill. Oh, and as you, were, as you were saying last week, Gillan McLaughlin, what a, what a terrible couple of months he's had well, since footy ex- exactly. And, I mean, none of, this is, none of this is his fault, but the game needs a shake-up. The game needs a bit of a clean-out. Yes, the footy's been fantastic. Yes, Gillan McLaughlin's done a brilliant job, carried the game through COVID, has launched now an 18-team women's league. But, you know... The women still don't know where their grand final's going to be. It, it looks messy. And I know that um, they've, been, they've been unlucky with concerts and the teams that have won and, but, and cricket, and they were hoping to do deals with cricket. This should not be. Every year, with weeks, you know, days before the AFLW grand final, 
women don't know where they're playing and, and they're blue. They're, they're looking like they could end up at Richmond Oval in South Australia that seats 9,000 or out at um, uh, Springfield in Queensland, the new home outside of Brisbane for the Brisbane Lions. Again, a, a ground that's never hosted an event. It's just not good enough when you think that they got over 50,000 a few years ago to the Adelaide Oval. So it's a bit messy at the moment and there's a lot to do. And I think it's no good saying Gillan McLaughlin has to get it all done. He'll never get it all done. He just has it's to leave and he has to leave and the, the new CEO comes in. It's and not, It's not really his fault, but it's time for a change. Mm. I mean, he said he was leaving, so really he's got to go. Anyway, that's footy. Let's move on to the crown. <laughs> I still haven't finished it. I'm From only... scandal to scandal. I haven't finished it either. I've, I'm up to episode five. Oh, I'm up to eight. I've just done the... Um, the um the famous fame I still remember sitting in the three AW studios back in nineteen ninety four or five, I think it was, and watching Princess Diana give the interview with Martin Bashir on the BBC mm. Panorama program. And now very, very controversial for other reasons. Well, even then, you know, the con- controversies were lingering. Um look, this series has been Criticised. Certainly the critics have been a lot harsher on it than any of the other series. The Guardian, as you point out, Corrie, in your regularly brilliant show notes, Thank actually you. wrote it's time for this bitty, boring show to end forever. <laughs> I disagree. I'm still enjoying it because even a slightly subpar series of The Crown I still find fascinating. I think the reason it's less fascinating now is because we can remember so much of this. Um, certainly there were some really interesting historical moments. Um, the original link between the Fayed family, between Dodie Fayed's family and the royal family with the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, as a.k.a. Wallace Simpson. Um, really interesting background to the death of um, Prince Philip's relatives and the, Queen's, and the Queen and the Prince's two sort of sides of the story when the Romanovs were murdered, really, in Russia all those years ago. But some of the casting is just so bad, don't you think? Well, look, yes, and I think that's the big the big <laughs> problem for me is the casting. But I also think, as you say, that with the first couple of series in particular, when Elizabeth first becomes queen and the whole dynamic with Margaret, who many would argue was a way was a way more charismatic, would have been a, you know an, a very interesting monarch. A lot of that stuff we didn't know because there was no new idea or Women's Weekly or internet or Instagram following. Now we know everything about the royals. I, as you know, I follow a couple of royal accounts on my Instagram account and every single day there's not one but two, three, four postings. So we know, we know when Kate Middleton has a cold. We know when Meghan Markle is wearing the latest pair of high heel shoes and where they're from and how much they cost. It's just so, as you say, we're now entering 1989, 1991, the, the Annis Horribilis, as the Queen described it, of 1992, which, of course, um, three of her kids ended up separated or divorced and Windsor Castle had the terrible fire. That's actually not a bad episode. But um, but Imelda but Staunton, a, Corrie, Imelda Staunton as the Queen, is very particularly she's very so soon, relax, she's very um, so soon after the Queen's quiet. death, yeah. And and the you know when this this where we are at in the series, the Queen is going through a bit of a low ebb in terms of popularity. Charles is setting up his own court and rather unofficially I don't scheming. Like, I don't like the her. um the casting of Dominic West, and I know people have said, oh, he's way he's, too handsome. he's way too handsome, <laughs> but he actually is a bit too old. You know, he's a bit too old. Like he's he's portraying 
for me, he's portraying Charles as a 50s, 60-something. Charles was younger at this time. We have to remember he was young. He and was 50. He was in his 50s no, in the 90s. no. Oh, was he? What? What is he now? Seventy? Yeah. So, he, just, it's, so he would it's have a, been forty-two. It's a fusty old, older Charles, and I think also you said this to me the other day, and I hundred percent agree that the the casting of Jonathan Price, who is a fantastic actor, if if you haven't seen the Two Popes, you must see the Two Popes. But he plays Philip Duke of Edinburgh, and as you said the other day, too old. He's too old, uh, and Imelda Staunton the, is like this dumpy little housewife. Yeah, we I have mean, to remember it's the eighties and the nineties, and it, like it's you know they were younger then, and I just find Imelda Staunton's it's like it's like ploughing through treacle watching he, her performance. He's growing she's into it a bit. Performer. He's a great actor, and she's growing into it a bit towards the end of the series. The scenes, oh, the, you know the highlight scene. Sorry to interrupt, but Leslie Manville as who doesn't look like Princess Margaret. In fact, the girl who is playing the woman who is playing. Princess Anne actually looks like Princess Margaret, which is weird. But Leslie Manville, the scene, I won't give anything away, but there's a scene where she does confront her sister Elizabeth about um, the past. Uh, yeah, about the Peter past. Peter Townsend. And I found that uh, an absolutely riveting. I was quite teary watching that. I was very emotional. I was yeah. very emotional because was, I think in that families was... that often happens. And um, Timothy Dalton playing Peter Townsend as an old man and tying up that sort of loose end is, mm. is quite sad too. But you know, there's some really good two-handed scenes between the Queen and a young Prince William and the way they portray Prince William's discomfort and concern and clear stress that he's going through because of his mother. Princess Diana is played by Elizabeth Debicki, the wonderful Australian actor. I think she's pretty good. Yeah, she is good. I think she's, she's channeled it. Good. She's channeled it well, and I think she's her acting is she's paired it back because it could have been quite easy to um, because because we've all grown up with Princess Diana images, and we all feel we know that Martin Bashir interviews so many of the lines kind of resonated went into popular culture she could have almost overplayed it she's pulled it back a bit I think and made Diana a real person and as you say particularly in her connections with the sons and William who can see that their parents marriage is really fragile and uh, and becoming um well dramatic but, but becoming quite traumatic for everybody and I think her Elizabeth's um, really, really portrays that emotion that all mothers go through, which is, you know, we just want the kids to be okay. We know we're dealing with our own personal drama, but we just want the children to be okay. And I think she captures that really well. I tell you who's, I tell you who's the worst, the worst cast of everyone is whoever it is that's playing the Queen Mother. Oh, and Finn. <laughs> I'm sorry. No offence to the Queen Mother, but she was a bit dumpy. He's... Yeah, Small we, and dumpy. This one is thin talk, and tall. It, it is, he is so miscast in every so way. So miscast. I agree with you. Um, but listen, Caro, I didn't. I had an interesting um, couple of weeks uh, reading uh, Tom Bower's new book. Tom Bower, Potties might remember, about two or three years ago, did a most excellent biography of Charles, um, Prince Charles. It was, uh, I oh, highly yes, recommend it. Yeah. Well, his new one called Revenge, Meghan, Mar uh, Meghan, Harry and the War Between the Windsors. Oh, God, talk about a hatchet job on, on the Sussexes. Oh, my goodness, it's biased, it's slanted, it is absolutely relentless in its 
scathing attack of Meghan Markle that she is ambitious, she's manipulative, she's narcissistic, um, she's deluded about her uh, about her powers and abilities. I mean, you're looking at me now like, well, told you so. But I tell you no, what, I'm, this I'm is not a, actually. I'm looking. <laughs> this at you is with a interest. real. This is a really biased uh, account, and. I don't know where you would put it in a bookshop because I would be taking it out of the biography section because biographies, you know, are supposed to be by nature pretty fair um, and and look at the whole picture. And he has ignored a certain part of the picture, which is the breath of fresh air element, the sense of change, the way she was embraced by the royal family um, and, and how she responded in those first few months with a lot of hard work, she and Harry going to see lots of things. Harry comes out, Harry comes out of the book absolutely terribly. Um, as you know, he's fallen in love with her, but he's being duped is sort of the suggestion. It's a really, really, um, Corey, I don't think Tina Brown was much kinder in the palace papers. She was fair. She was fair. She was though. fair on she Harry. Because she, she pointed out that Harry had been, as I always say, quite traumatised by his mother's She was fair on Harry. He, he was scathing about Megan from the start of her career up until... Oh. No, I didn't. Think I, t- was- I tell you what, it's it's a it's a it's an amazing book. I, you know, it really. I don't know whether I would recommend it or not, but it anyway. Tom Bowers' Revenge. There you are. You can have a read if it interests you. One last word on the Crown before we head to the cocktail cabinet. I think too, we know what's coming. We know the tragedy that's about to happen in nineteen ninety-seven. Was it seven? Seven and yes, um, seven. And I, I just think that that is leading us to. But I do think the portrayal of Diana is pretty good. Anyway, I'm still enjoying it. I'll watch it to the end. And I wish there was going to be more, but there isn't. No. Time for the cocktail cabinet. On that note, Corrie, it's time to enter the cocktail cabinet. We have a new drink to try today. Thanks to Miles and thanks to Prince Wine Store. Just remember, use the promo code MEWS at checkout online or in store when you're buying wine through Prince Wine Store and you get the special Don't Shoot the Messenger discount. That's www.princewinestore.com.au. Hello, Miles. Hello. You bring gin. You bring gin. Gin. Well, we all know we're gin fans here, so... I'm very embarrassed to tell the potties what time of day it is, Miles. <laughs> they don't I'm, need I'm to not, know. They don't, no, look, it's, it's 7 o'clock in the evening, 6 late. o'clock somewhere. <laughs> very late. <laughs> it's gin o'clock. Exactly. Tell us about it, Miles. Where does it come from and what are the aromas? So this is Hear Me Raw Gin, and this is part of um, the Australian Women in Wine program. So it's actually uh, raising money to support um, women in wine, obviously, uh, mentorship, wine judging courses, training, uh, travel and things like that. So it's about promoting women in wine, women winemakers and just women in the industry in general. Has it been traditionally a sexist field? I think it's a male-dominated field in a lot of ways, particularly the winemaking side of things. You know, I guess there's that marketing, often marketing has, has a, you know, maybe a stronger sort of female element to it in that sort of regard. But certainly, yes, in, in the in the winemaking, I'd say it is a much more And you'll note I said sexist yeah. rather than uh, because... Sexism can hold so many people back in their career growth. Mm. Men who think that the girls aren't just good enough. Carol and I know what that's like, don't we? Well, yeah, look, absolutely. I and yes, we have, yes. Yeah. I, I'm not sure about the winemaking industry, but I imagine it's a fairly macho industry, or yeah. it was and, in the past. And and look, as far as I'm, I'm not a winemaker. I don't work in that industry. You know, that's the caveat there. But yeah, definitely, it's it, there's a lot of 
male people. And look, there's a lot of work to, to sort of put forward more women in the wine in the wine industry, particularly in that part, and winemakers and making sure that they're getting, you know, and there's, I mean, all the women that I know that make wine are super, uber talented. So it shows so. <laughs> it shows where my mind's at, that when I heard this was called Hear Me Raw, I thought the winemakers were Richmond supporters. <laughs> <laughs> Might be. I don't know. I don't and know why. A, because... and, you're a, and you're a Helen Reddy fan. <laughs> well, I know. I know. I accept, well, obviously everybody loves I Am Woman, which is clearly where the name comes from. So, are we just going to look at it, Kaz, or are we going to have a drink? Well, I want Miles to tell us why they deviated into gin. Yeah, so 2019 they did a Shiraz and this year they decided to do a gin for something a little bit different and obviously the popularity of gin as well. So same winemaker, I understand, that did the Shiraz in 2019 and now mm-hmm. she's, she's actually doing distilling and she's, she did this gin. And I think they run a competition. I think that my understanding is they ran a competition for the sort of the final blend, which is black currant leaf, native finger lime, Tasmanian pepperberry. That's the main sort of... You can, um, you can really taste yeah, that peppery, peppery. That pepperberry, yeah. and it's got that really like top note, very pretty sort of, very lifted sort of style of, of gin with that, that native sort of lime, that citrus really coming through strong, which is pretty popular in a lot of Australian gins, particularly finger lime, but I think that citrus driven sort of style. I, I really like it. I think it's a really it is. pretty style. It's so great. It's you're selling a bit more him. of the delicate style, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'd, I'd love know? to. I would love to try it with tonic. I mean, it's just about blowing my head maybe off. Maybe a, um... a light tonic or <laughs> even soda or something. Yeah, a soda would be lovely. Actually, yeah. soda and ice. Yep. Um, Miles, what you're selling this? Hear me roar. Yeah. So look, you know, we, we've always been sort of supportive of, of the program and 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 women in wine in general. So you know, they sort of approached us and said, look, you know, would you would you like to help us out? And we we're very happy to do it. So we'll we'll be selling it um, in the store and online. Um, I think it should be up on the website now. I, I sort of set it up yesterday. So Quanta Coste, one hundred and ten dollars for this. Mm, yep, quite expensive. It is. On the expensive side, but it is a really fantastic gin. And look, it's for a really great cause as well. So all the profits for that go to the Women in Wine program. It's, um, gin's getting up there, good gins. I mean, It is. For, a lot it, of the it, boutique it, stuff is. Yeah, even your standard four pillars now, and they have all those other sort of ones that cost more, which I always think is a bit naughty, but I do love four mm. pillars gin. But they're now the cheapest you could ever get is about $80, I think. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of um, producers have started putting it in 500 mil bottles and it brings mm. down the unit price a little bit so it's a little more palatable. So you think you're... Because <laughs> um, a lot of them are sort of up in that past that 100 mark and I think a lot of people are like, oh, that's a lot of money to spend. I do feel that we are uh, we're nurturing a real boutique gin industry here in Australia. Yeah, you're I mean, often, it's been you're going often on for ages, about... but definitely, yeah. It's, yeah and it, it's actually a world... It's, it's, it's all through you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I remember well, seeing sure, a, an sure. episode of Rick Stein in Cornwall the other night on the... Oh, yeah. Try, try um, Amsterdam yeah. and Germany yeah. and Belgium. It's extraordinary. Yeah. That, and they're such beautiful bottles. It has occurred to me that, you know, sometimes you finish a really beautiful boutique bottle and then you see the um, Bombay Sapphire, you know, which is a perfectly good gin. You think, yeah. well, you could actually just buy the Bombay Sapphire and decanter it into <laughs> Yeah. Into, the nice good. into the nice bottle. To make your bar want. look nice. Makes me think that you might have done that before. No, yeah. no, I actually haven't, but I have got a lovely bottle. And I you thought, do collect gin bottles. I know we well, carried yours half around, half around Cornwall, didn't yeah, we? Exactly, exactly. Oh, I love... I love the spirit side of this industry, particularly the the bottles and the labels. They have so much more. They're so attractive. Yeah, you know, there's, it's very. I think it's hard in the wine industry. People are still there's a traditional element to it, and there are definitely lots of funky labels. But I think it's less prevalent. 
And certainly the other thing you get to see with gin and, and other spirits is bottle shapes and bottle sizes and it's much, I think it's much more interesting and much cooler. So anyway, hear me raw some great gin. Great hear me raw gin, yep. Generous Christmas present idea and you know where you can get it. Miles, you're going to leave us with your top five non-champagne sparkling wines. Yeah, so we mentioned it last week and we've had a few potties call into the store and get online and ask oh, about it. Oh, look, so good on you, gang out exciting. there. Listen. Yeah, it, I bought a couple last week. We, we like yeah. a good conversion rate, don't we? Jane is so happy now. Jane can go to the owner of this network and say, we've done our job, Craig. Absolutely. Oh, Single-handedly, you and off. I have done our job. <laughs> yeah, I Dare I say, my? in fact, yet another email from Gab, my order of $380 or something of wine is sitting there. I have to come by and With pick discount. it up. <laughs> no, no, no discounts, no cash for comments. But Miles, um, we're really excited that... Um, that, that, that um, our potties are listening and taking on yeah, board, Carol and I. We we rave about uh, Miles's alcohol, not just because we're a couple of old soaks, but really it's such a beautiful store. It's a wonderful experience to go on the Prince Wine Store website as well. And, of course, you offer our messengers such amazing discounts, so we're very grateful. Tell us about these five sparkling. Yeah, so just... So quick brief, we, we did a anything but champagne. We've got nothing but nothing but sparkle. I can't remember. Not, not sh- nothing short of sparkle. I can't remember what we called it. Anyway, anything but... Marketing wasn't, department. Yeah, exactly. In, not my department. Uh, anything that's not champagne. So a lot of Australian sparkling, but as well as Cremont and things like that from, from France and, and some other countries as well. We had some English sparkling as well. But the top five, as voted by the people who attended, so we got a, a Vox Pop kind of vote for that. The Arras um, EJ Car Late Disgorge 2007. Now, that's a super premium wine. You're talking like 240 yep. bucks. But that's kind of probably as good as it gets in Australia and around the world. I mean, that is a that is a sparkling wine that takes on some of the best champagnes quite easily, in my opinion. Um, Nadison Collins Inception NV, which I think was by, is, is, a, is a sparkling by Lethbridge. Um, that was really popular, and I talked to people about it afterwards, and they thought it was fantastic. So that came in second, I guess not unsurprisingly, uh, equal with Calde Bosco Prestige Cuvée, which is a French Accorda, which is a, a champagne method style but made in Italy. Calde Bosco is probably one of the most famous. It is also fantastic. And then equal third came to Rolet Cremant de Jura Blanc, so from the Jura. Domaine Champelou Vouvray Sparkling, which I mm-hmm. think is the one that... You got? He's pointing at me. Yes. Yes, sorry. I, you can't see that. I just wasn't sure whether yes. you... What's your name again? It's Corey, Miles. Yeah. And yes, I am guilty. And I have. I think I have that also in my Christmas box as yes, well. Yes, it's very good. Yeah. I, I like I think it it's true. And how much... How much yeah, you better tell us what these That's all cost. 70 or 80, is it a bottle, that one? The I think the Rolet's sort of up there in the sort of 50, 60. Mark. I think Champlou's probably sort of only in about the 40 range. Uh-huh. Um, and the Nadison Collins, I think, is about that 40, 50 range too. So they're not crazy expensive. And then another Biondelli Metodo Classico. Now, what I'll do is the the, um, the, the offer is on the website. Yep. No shortage okay. of sparkle. That's what it's called. That's it, right. So if you go to the website, you can look on there. It's on there. And I'll, I, th- I think if they haven't been added, I'll add the top five. So you right. can just jump on there and see. And then there's like 30 others. So with, so your, not, so so with your voting ceremony... Mm-hmm. That's a lot of champagne. There are a lot of bottles that you're sparkling. Sparkling, sorry, sparkling there that you are um, that you've bought to your. Did people have to pay to come to the the sparkling wine tasting? Yeah, we we charge a ten dollar nominal fee, and wow. then it's usually refundable if you sort of buy a hundred bucks. And would more. we have had to have been experts? 
to attend that event? No, I mean we did, we've been running. We've been God running. No, it's we've a, been running those since anyone can the come. store started in well, St our Kilda. Invitation? You know, twenty years ago. Wouldn't it's you a, have loved a, to have gone to a sparkling goes out, invitation? Goes out every week. It goes out. It's on the website, Corey. <laughs> I didn't on the website. see that invitation. I thought it was a bit of an exclusive. Anyone no, can no, any old, that. The, any the old sh- folk can walk in off the street, yeah. and I, the voting system sounds very ad hoc, but well, quite we, fun. Look, we don't do it for everything. We do it for things like that 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 we think work. We just did a Pinot one last week. We did it for that. That worked very well. We thought that one was interesting because we've we've run that tasting before and it was very very popular this time, more popular than it's ever been, and I think people were very interested in that category in general, and so it was really interesting to see what everybody picked. And I think they're all fantastic picks. I mean, we have a pretty savvy base of wine drinkers anyway, so I'm, well, I'm surprised sure. they picked the best stuff as the best stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, the, the RS at $240 a pop yeah, as opposed to... The system yes, works. Correct. I can't even remember the one I bought, but it would have been one of that list, I'm was, sure. Was it a blind tasting? No, no, they're, they're all just open. The tables are out, you go along. But you don't have a price. Like, they didn't all think, oh, I better say that this one is the best because it's one of the most expensive. Oh, no, the prices are there because we put them all up for people to buy, so... Miles, yeah. I'm sure next time you have an event, you'll be very vocal about it on Don't Shoot the Messenger. Absolutely. And just remember to have a look at those top five and to read about Hear Me Raw Gin and to order it if you want, get on to www.princewinestore.com.au. Thanks, Miles. Thank you. Okay, Corrie, time for our favourite segment of the week. Well... We love all our segments, but BSF for Red Energy is one I'm of them. So, I'm not so keen on Grumpy. I think it brings, you know, a negative tone to our podcast. Okay. Well, we can go back to Crush next year if you want. Yeah, maybe. We used to love. I had a, I had a, I had a good I fi- <laughs> Crush this week. But um, do you know what I find? So we we started this podcast five years ago when we used to do what are we grumpy about? I would have maybe one, possibly two things. Now I have 27 on my list. Well, I've had a lot of crushes lately, and I was reading about. Um, not that I, I loathe the Grammy Awards. They're so um, non-representative. But I am pretty impressed with Beyonce oh, putting out another always. unbelievable album. In an, anyway. in, an, in an, another unbelievable outfit. So, Potties, if you'd like to hear us do Grumpy next year or we, you think we should put her out to pasture, let us know. Um, we're interested. Or maybe there's a new segment you might like to think about. Because, of course, we'll be back next year in our sixth and we're heading toward our 250th episode. So, Caro, you have a book. Yeah, I've discovered a new young Australian author by the name of Michelle Wright, who has put out her first novel. She um, had a a series of short stories that did very well. I think she won an age um, short story competition. She's won a few competitions, but she received a grant to go and spend six months in Paris to write the book Small Acts of Defiance. That's been very well reviewed. Look, I really enjoyed this book. It's how can I describe it? It's basically a really interesting account of life in Paris during the occupation. So it's an World historical novel or a historical Com- romance? No, it's not a romance. No, there's no romance. It's basically the story um, of a mother and daughter who are Australian, really. Well, the mother is French and she marries an Australian soldier who is badly, badly damaged during World War I mentally. And a dreadful tragedy befalls the mother and daughter, which leads to the death of the father, the Australian father. And they find themselves, of all things, back in Paris in 1940 because they really have nowhere else to go. They go back to live with um, the mother, Isabel's brother, who is really the only family they have left. And they believe he's 
quite wealthy. In fact, he's not that wealthy at all, but, or is he? They go and live in his apartment in Paris. Um, the occupation hasn't quite yet happened, but it happens, you know, very quickly in the story. And it's really the story of Lucy, the daughter, who is an artist, an aspiring artist. She's only 17 or 18 when the novel begins. And it's, it's too late, really, once they realise what's happening. They, they can't really leave France. And it's what they do during the occupation. Um, she makes friends with old and young people, most of them involved in the art world. And the small acts of defiance is quite literally what she does to show her disgust, growing disgust at what is going on in Paris. And it, it addresses, you know, the, the two French leaders, um, notably General de Gaulle, who, of course, stayed in the UK during the war and came back and made that famous speech at the end when Paris was liberated, basically talking about how wonderful it is that the French have united together to liberate Paris, when in fact that wasn't what happened at all. You know, the Allies were involved and there was not unity and there were some dreadful things, dreadful acts performed by French people in Paris against the Jewish population. That She goes into Michelle Wright and she's clearly bilingual herself and has spent time in France. I think she was... Um, went out or was lived with a Frenchman for 11 or 12 years or had a French partner and went back and did, got this I love grant. that expression, she went out with him. Went out with That's him. so 70s. Stayed in with him, whatever she did, or her. I'm not even sure whether it was male or female, but she is clearly a Francophile, but she doesn't gild the lily about the way French people behave, particularly towards the French Jewish population and the disgusting things that happened. And it sort of begins when Jewish businesses are forced to close down and Jewish students aren't allowed to attend, attend university, aren't allowed to work. Um, the doctors are allowed to keep practising, but that ends again. And it's just it's just a really, really interesting account of life in France. Oh, during, good. And, and this putting the head... It took 50 years for... I think it was Jacques Chirac who finally acknowledged... 50 years after, in, in, in the mid-90s, that what, what atrocities were performed by French people who either stood by and did nothing. Or joined Vichy, and joined Vichy France. So that Saved is... Saved their own neck. That's the book, Michelle Wright's Small Acts of Defiance. I would recommend it. I, it's not the best book I've ever read, but it's a very good first novel and it's really interesting. Now, last night, Corrie, we went to the closing night of the British Film Festival and we watched the new working title film written by Jemima Khan. Formerly Jemima Goldsmith, who married Imran Khan, the Pakistani golfer, and they divorced a few he's years actually, later. He's actually a cricketer. Oh, what did I say? Golfer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. What's love got oh, of course to do he's, with it? I know it? he's a cricketer. I don't know why I said golf. Yes, no, what's lo- it's called what's love, what, what's love Got to Do With It, Caro, not to be confused with the most excellent biopic on Ike and Tina Turner, I think Angela Bassett played. Oh, and the song What's Love Got to Do With It never appears in this film. Mm. But it's a story of arranged marriages, basically, isn't it? It's and lovely. it's it's got your sort of um Notting Hill, four weddings and a funeral mm. type. You can't you know, and you kind of know at the very beginning what's going to happen, but the journey is certainly worth it. Lily James, the beautiful young English actress, she plays Zoe, uh, who is a successful documentary filmmaker. But uh, her, the, the producers who fund her projects aren't very excited by anything that she... Um, too worthy. Yeah, too worthy. One of the first meetings she has with them, they just go, no, no, no. And then she remembers that her family friend, the family next door, a Pakistani family with whom she and her mother have been 
incredibly close throughout their lives, the son uh, is about to embark on a, an arranged marriage. So it's, she says, well, what about love contractually? And the two producers go, yes, love it. Brilliant. So her idea then is to follow, and she does, follow her good friend Kaz, played by the rather um, rather lovely looking, if I can say that, Shazad Latif, who's a terrific English actor. Um, he, she follows him through the marriage process. And uh, there are some funny scenes. His mother, uh, the actress, of, a very well-known Indian actress, who who is um, absolutely gorgeous, isn't her? Um, what's her name again? Uh, Sh- uh, Shabana Azmi. She's brilliant. I don't watch Bollywood movies, but apparently she is a real star, and I can see why, Caro. She holds every frame that she's in. I couldn't take my eyes off and her. And Emma Thompson, of course. And Emma Thompson is Zoe's mum. mother. Yeah, which was a bit of a weird. It was a real caricature. It remind me reminded me a lot of the crazy professor teacher that Emma Thompson played in Harry Potter. <laughs> he was he was a very avant garde, over the top mother, but he has some very funny lines, and she, she carries it off because she's Emma Thompson. Look, you're right. You know what's going but to they happen. Were, but they, she wasn't scene scene stealing. I, I didn't feel that every time she came on, I had to watch. And she, of course, is trying to perform her own arranged. Yes. Marriage for her daughter, Lily James, who lives in a particularly attractive part of London on a boat, which is sort of interesting. Yeah. And um, I would look- give it, I'd give it a seven out of 10. It was a feel good movie. There was a bit of a, a bit of a clunkiness, I thought, around um, the plot. I kind of wanted to get more in the weeds with arranged marriages that don't work. I won't go into any of that again. I won't, don't want to give it, anything it steals, away. It but steals I just, quite, quite blatantly the Harry and Sally um, decision to actually interview couples yeah. about their relationships. Yes. And they say, they even talk about that at the start of the film. So they, they pay tribute to... When Harry met Sally. And other, yeah. and other films past. Oh, look, it, any film with all those wonderful London scenes and the scenes in Pakistan, in Lahore, are just absolutely beautiful. Mm. I mean, what a beautiful city. that mm. they, they completely romanticise that part of Pakistan. And can I also just send a bouquet the to the... Wed- the Bollywood-style oh, weddings. Oh, we were all ready to dance, weren't we? But I just want wanted to send a little bouquet to the Astor Theatre in St Kilda, which I haven't been there for years. It's just such a beautiful, elegant old girl. I hope it never is closed or knocked down like our darling Sorrento. What about Cinema? my rookie mistake, buying a glass of wine and then going upstairs and there's complimentary gin and tonics and sparkling wine? I'm like, you could have yes, told and then, me. Yes, and so how's Clem's foot? Because she stood on my, um, she stood accident, accidentally stood on my gin and tonic glass. I can't believe you didn't take your glass out with you. Well, I forgot it, to be honest. I put it on, <laughs> you know. So. I, I, I hope you didn't do I, it deliberately. I finished it midway through the movie, put it under the seat, completely forgot about it until I heard crunch. There was a bit of crunching going on around around the cinema. Apologies Look, to the Astra Cinema for that too. And the old the old opening that they show again, you know, welcome to the Astra Cinema and the man at the end saying drive home safely and all that. <laughs> no, it was um and then we left the movie, Miss Jane, and we're walking home. We're all walking or driving or whatever, and um we see a nun walk out of a pizza shop holding a pizza with big black headphones on. It was absolutely, and it wasn't like someone at a Buckets night or something. It was an actual. Oh, no, she nun. would have. She would have been down at presentation convent down. The and there road. was another nun behind the wheel, and she. It was just one of the more bizarre things I've ever seen. Anyway, Sounds like the I beginning mean, of a joke. I mean, why joke. why shouldn't nuns eat pizza? It wasn't that. I think it was a big black headphones. I think that's our. I think that's our episode title, isn't it? Yep. 
Corrie, I, w- I still would recommend What's Love Got to Do With It, if only for the wonderful Bollywood wedding yeah. scene. You know what? Boxing Day. You're feeling a bit tired, yep. a little bit yucky, and yep. you just want to go and have a chock top <laughs> and have a bit of a laugh in darkness. I've seen Lily James perform better, too, mm, I have too. to say. Anyway, but I, I did enjoy it. Now, Corrie, you have a recipe from the Western District. I do. This is... I know I said last time with my Roman asparagus it was the easiest recipe ever. This is easy and wonderful, and it comes from um, my darling relative, Jen Hutton. Hi, Jen, up in the Western District. And Jen, at the moment, is the president of the Napier Club, of which I'm a member. And I was invited with our friend Fiona Brockoff, the wonderful landscape designer and also author of a beautiful new book, coffee table book. We were invited to go and do a bit of a show up there uh, for the Napier Club. And so we hit the road, Fee and I, a bit more about that later. And that, uh, that night after our performance at the Napier Club, we went home to Jen and Tim's property and sat outside because it was one of those rare Victorian warm evenings. And for pudding, Jen served lemon ice cream. Now this is really easy. Serves eight. Cooking time, you just freeze it overnight. No ice cream maker. No ice cream maker. That's why I'm I'm (laughs) saying it, Caro. Who has an ice cream maker? Uh, It's so 90s. Um, Okay, 600 mils of cream, one and a half cups of caster sugar, the juice and rind of two lemons. Blend the cream and the sugar in a food processor until thick and flowing. Add the juice and the rind of the lemons and blend until mixed in. Pour into an ice cream tray or individual moulds and freeze. Wow. And then Jen cut up slices and we had berries on top. Oh my Lord. So is it in one of those rectangular moulds? Yeah. Well, I, well, I don't know how Jen did it. All I, when I make a sort of an ice creamy thing like this, I just line um, a a rectangular, um, you know, sandwich loaf tray tin and I just line it with um, uh, baking paper and uh, with your great tip of 100 years ago of um, crunch it all up so it folds neatly rather than trying to get a completely flat piece of baking yes. paper into a tray. And I just pour it into that. So then when it's frozen, you pull it out. It does melt quickly. That's the one sort of tip and condition that Jen says. So just upside down, take this stuff off as I would normally do with one of these things, cover it in berries, maybe a bit of mint if it's Christmas Day. That could look pretty with a bit of green and away you go. It this sounds, is so delicious. I can't begin a, to tell it you. It sounds like um, our friend Helen, our friend Helen's ice yeah, like cream. Yeah, like a pan, a pan um, She does a, a passion fruit yeah. one and a lemon yeah. one. And uh, they're good friends. I wonder whose <laughs> recipe it really is. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> recipe politics. I'm sure I'm, I'm not saying they wouldn't be very, maybe they've both got separate lemon ice cream recipes. Did you say lemon rind as well? Yeah. Yeah, which is lovely because it just gives it that nice texture. So that is a really wonderful, easy Name recipe. Name the ingredients again. Cream, caster sugar, two lemons. Bob's your uncle. It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy, but the the, the taste is fantastic. And I, I was concerned asking Jen because, you know, we all have our favourite recipes that are so easy we don't want to give it away. It's like the one I've never bought on the podcast, which is the amaretto and almond ice cream that I do. 
You've oh. never given it away because no. it's so simple. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe you should. That's Why? I mean, I love the potties, but not that much. Oh, gee, I think that's a bit mean-spirited. Jen's so, lemon ice cream. No, I like, I like them to come Helen? for dinner. No, I'm sure it's Jen's. Corrie, that's a fabulous recipe. So thank you, Jen, and thanks all the Hamilton gang for such a lovely, um, a lovely time last week. That was BSF for Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers nationally, both last year and this year, 2022. That's Red Energy. Corrie, I know you don't want to always be grumpy, but you are today and you're grumpy about something. I'll give you five bucks if you can imagine what it's about. It's road-related. Correct. Pothole-related. Correct. (laughs) Got it in two. There's plenty around. Okay, so look, Victoria and indeed all of Eastern Australia has been hit, slammed with floods in the last few months, indeed other parts of the country since the start of the year. Potholes are everywhere. They are just a side effect. They're just one of the many side effects and things that happen when we have flooding because, of course, in cer- on certain country roads in particular, but also some city ones, there is a bit of um, – everything is weakened and potholes form. And councils bless their cotton socks. They can't get around to every pothole. We have quite a few in our area, Carol. If you're not careful, you could really do some damage with your car. I still don't really understand how rain causes potholes. I know well, that's really... it's just the seepage of, it just might be, you know, old tar or it's just, it's a crack in the road that just forms and forms because the water just can't shift and everything is softened around it. Now, I know that there are people who, who do get out if there's a pothole near, I know a business um, down our way that, that there's a shocking pothole outside their shop and so they will often get the boys out there putting the sand in the pothole. But as the owner of the business said, another rainstorm and it's all washed away. So it's a real problem, but it was a particular problem. There were two occasions driving to Hamilton and back um, last week. One was uh, hit a pothole that crept up on me. Usually you can see them and you do a bit of a swerve. And I thought I had killed the talent. <laughs> oh. Fiona's head, I think, hit the top of my, the top, the roof of the car. We got such a jolt. And um, I was very concerned about my tyres, but I was also concerned about the author um, in my care that she might have actually um, broken her neck. (laughs) So that was terrible. And then the other one when I was driving, somebody coming toward me did a swerve because they obviously had a pothole, right? Because you see a bit of that happening and you do it yourself. And the swerve was so disconcerting to me because they were so close. Had I not been aware, alert and all of those things you are when you're driving in the country... I would have really panicked because they'd swerved onto my side of the road and then back again. So everybody, I just want you to be very, very careful at the moment, particularly as there's more rain expected. Uh, It's actually beyond grumpy. It's deeply concerning. It is a deeply concerning grumpy today. It's a bit of a bit shallow to say I'm grumpy about it, isn't it? (laughs) Particularly if there are dreadful accidents. Well, I don't know who to be grumpy with. It's not Mother Nature's fault, but it's not the councils either because I'm sure they're all doing their best. Anyway, well, the floods have been quite, you know, so so distressing. Did you have any damage? Well, so many. I've just got this terrible leak at you know in our house, and it just was getting progressively worse, but that's another story. Corrie's been grumpy and now we've got time for six quick questions and that is also for Red Energy. Corrie, which scam almost caught you out this week? The text message that came through, Mum, my phone's broken, could you message me on WhatsApp on this number please? Now, a couple of giveaways that this wasn't one of my children. I was about to get onto the family WhatsApp. One, Mum, comma, 
my phone's broken. No, no abbreviation. No phone. F- apostrophe. Apostrophe. Sorry. P H O N E S is one word, and I thought, look, my kids are better spellers than that. Oh. Could you message me on WhatsApp? Now, I have very well-behaved children, and they would have actually said, would you mind or could you please or something like that. And also on this number, please, foreign number. So so what, why, how is that, um, how would that scam you? Well, I then smelt a rat and I, I, I copied and pasted it and put it onto our family WhatsApp. And I said, did, did any of you contact me? Because I thought maybe they've contacted me. Well, I've got all the partners' numbers. I didn't know who or what or like, yep. you know, was somebody stuck somewhere with a – and uh, they came straight back. Oh, this is a scam. So-and-so fell for it. Um, Will said somebody at his old work, I think it was, had fallen for it and lost thousands. So just beware. So how do you lose, that, lose thousands, Miss Jane? Um, so I've heard a lot about this. So basically then they have an interaction with you and then they say, Mum, I need a new phone. I'm stuck. I need money for a cab. I'm in a really dangerous situation. Or, you know, pull at the parental heartstrings. Oh. As soon as you've then obviously fallen for it, then it's like, okay, uh, $1,000 right now or, you know, we'll hack. Or, it's, it's just a, it's a way of opening a dialogue. So as soon as they think that they're talking to a child and you're sending mm. details, here, here's the bank account details or can I use mm. your credit card? I really need to get a taxi. And, this, and, you know, this isn't even with a child. So my kids are in their late 20s, early 30s, Jane, and even I was concerned because I thought my first thought was, uh, you know, where's the well, first one? Like, you know, first cab off the rank being the eldest, Francesca. So where is she? Where's the kids? What's happened to her phone? Are they okay? So you start thinking grandchildren and should I jump in? Really, really dodgy scam. Um, Carol, and they would also ring, wouldn't they? That also... Well, I, well, I would think so. Anyway, just watch out that for that one. Carol, would you rather win a bridge tournament or a Scrabble tournament? Oh, Corrie, comparisons are odious. Especially when you're brilliant like me. <laughs> no, no, but, I mean, it's completely different. Look, if you're saying, you know, the the Bridge Congress on the Gold Coast. I mean, oh, well, you probably get a tiara for that. Well, there's no way I would ever win that. But, I mean, you would love to do well at that because, you know, you're part of a team. But winning the Scrabble tournament was very satisfying. And you, rec- mean, you receive a little silver cup, Mindy's mum's old tennis yeah, I, don't, I don't recall seeing that. No, it was cup. in the boot of my car and I'd taken my car to be serviced. Oh, right. Have you had it polished? What? The cup. No. Well, it's not, I don't want anything I have to polish myself. Anyway, uh, look, it's lovely to win. It's lovely to play well. You know, you don't you don't go in these things to win, but it is always more enjoyable if you play well. So I think both both would be equally enjoyable. Corrie, what does Sean Penn... I do, we'll say one thing. We played a lot of Scrabble over 24 hours. Not enough. Nine games. Not That's a enough. Corrie, what does Sean Penn and Banksy have in common? Both Sean Penn, the actor, and Banksy, the artist, were in the Ukraine last week and... Sean Penn certainly met, had a meeting with Volodymyr Zelensky, the president, and Banksy created all of these murals on bombed out buildings and has lifted the spirits of the Ukrainian people like there is no tomorrow. I'm not sure Sean Penn going there and mouthing platitudes and giving his Oscar to the president. I'm not sure how that went down with the local people. Um... Sean Penn's won two Best Act, Best Actor Oscars 
for Mystic River in 2003 and Milk in 2008. So he's entitled to give it away if he wants to. He's a very good actor. But I just wondered, he said, he said, oh, I feel terrible. This is what he told the president. I feel terrible. This is for you. It's just a symbolic, silly thing. But I know that it's here with you. Then I'll feel better and stronger for the fight. And I thought, oh, okay. I get, anyway. I get the art thing with Banksy. In, in Small Acts of Defiance, the book I just reviewed, um, as a young artist, he, Lucy actually hides messages in her art and um, it's actually used for good. And sometimes she just does pictures of what she's seen and the scenes she's seen in Paris and hides them in between cracks in walls and underneath things that people might find them, you know, in years to come. He's done some really beautiful work while he's been there. And if anybody is interested in having a look at it, the art newspaper has some of the work and also uh, cnn.com and just type in Banksy and all of these different images will come up and um, and you can have a look at that. Um, Caro, la- name life's three most menial but necessary tasks. Well, I did all of them on Saturday and they're not the most necessary in life. But they are menial and they're just things that they're a pain in the neck to do and you wish someone would do them for you. This is going to sound so trivial. The, cut, the cutlery drawer. Filling the pepper grinder. Oh, you know, and and $1,000 if you don't spill one on the floor. Oh, and re- then somebody comes along a week or so later and says, we have mouse, mice in the house. Refilling the ice trays. Oh, that's all right. Oh, I find that so, such a pain in the neck. Cleaning the barbecue. That is just the worst job, and it is so necessary. And I, I, with honourable mentions to putting petrol in your car, just you just never, you just never really. You feel as though that's ten minutes you'll never get back. And the other one, and this is such a good feeling when you do it, is getting out all your eyeliners and sharpening them. <laughs> that is such a good feeling when you've done that. Some people might use those one that you screw in and out, but they're never as good. The ones with the sharpeners are much better. The liquid ones are never as good. I don't wear eyeliner, but I know what you mean because I have oh. I have a set of a hundred and something or other Derwents, which I frequently just have a little play with with the grandchildren, and I love nothing more than sharpening them up. Oh, and then I poke Hattie in the back of the hand. such a great feeling when they're sharpened, but it's such a... Pain in the neck to do it. Corrie, name life three most menial and difficult tasks. Oh, well, Coco had a sleepover with me last night after our movie with you guys, and um, we our list was so long. So menial and difficult tasks, putting your queen or king-size doona cover back onto your doona. Oh, couldn't agree more. Oh, that, yeah. I said folding a fitted sheet, and she said, oh, yeah. But- How often do you wash your doona cover? Oh, probably once every three weeks, I reckon. That's exactly because you have a sheet underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, the kids don't have the sheet underneath. I just oh, don't no, get that. No, no. Then you have to do um, it every week. Yeah, of course you do. Um, folding a fitted sheet, I said, but Coco said, look, you don't have to fold it. Just bundle it up and stick. That's it, you know. Hence why I'll, linen presses look so messy. I fold it. But um, I don't find it. it's a doona covers. The this worst. happened to me again the other day when I had the car serviced, as I mentioned, putting your car key back on your key ring. Oh. That's you break your you fingernails. You always break a nail and you and usually cut yourself. Yes, Couldn't it's just more. a pain in the neck. And another thing I did last weekend, washing the dog. Oh, God. Difficult. And then when on those days when I, have my, when I don't have my contact lenses in and I have my spectacles on, putting your eye makeup on when you wear spectacles, if you're short-sighted like I am, 
it's really difficult. Probably long-sighted too, truth be told. Oh, I it's think really you can't difficult. see you while you're doing it. You can't see properly what you can't see what you're doing, <laughs> right? And then the other one, this is this is Coco's because, as you know, she's she's now surfing and loving it. But I have had this problem with my own one-piece bathers. She said getting out of a wetsuit. Oh, yep. Yep. And and I said, oh, getting out of wet bathers. I've got I have a pair that is yep. like Nancy Gantz, so tight. I almost feel like I'm about to getting out of a wet suit at the top. You know how it crushes your bosoms, but everything's popping out the top. You feel like you're about to explode at the top. I, sometimes I cannot get my bathers <laughs> off, and I start to. It's a bit like you with boots when you couldn't get your boots off your legs. I get I always, a bit. <gasps> get me out of here. Sort of claustrophobic. I think, um, and also, you know those. Um, Lululemon or whatever, you know, walking pants. What are they called? Leotards. Well, they're not leotards. What are they called? Active wear. Active wear, yes. Compression. Yeah, whatever. When they're a bit damp, trying to put them on. Why are your leotards damp? Well, because they haven't dried properly, but you've got to go, you know, you're waiting outside with the dog. Oh, you put them on and they're damp? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I know. I know. No, there no. are just so many of life's de- – and they're difficult. I but thought we you were a bit mean them. about Coco's surfing prowess last night when she showed you that photo and you said, well, the waves aren't very big. Oh, I apologise later. She, she was standing looking like, you know – No, I apologise later. I said, <laughs> happy oh, sorry, Gilmore. Flops. I didn't really see the, Stephanie see the big wave right behind you. She's almost <laughs> catching a tube, the poor child. Anyway, um, it was a lovely um, it was a lovely night last night having our girls with us. And, um, yes, we sat up in bed last night and just went through that whole list. That was fun. Now, Caro, finish us off with this week's amazing fact. Well, it's to do with the forthcoming Victorian state election. Which, oh, um, really? We haven't voting, talked about that. Voting is open. So boring. People, well, yeah, it probably has, hasn't been that riveting, but voting is opened and people are already voting. So come election day, more people will have already voted than actually vote on election day. Oh, what about the sausage sizzle? Well, that'll, the democracy sausage goes on, but, you know, the fact is more people vote before. So you would think... You know, that you pretty much are going to know the result, you would think, on Saturday night. Not necessarily, Corrie. Mm. There have been several um, several impediments. The, the writs are not actually sent to Parliament. The deadline is actually December 17, even though Election Day, I think, is November 26. So if you live in Malakuta, but you find yourself in Mildura on Election Day, you know, you can vote up until 6 o'clock at night and then your vote's got to get back to Malakuta. By, via Australia Post, you could be waiting for months. You might be in Antarctica. Do you know how many Victorians were in Antarctica Antarctica for the last election? Eight, I think, working at the Mawson Research, whatever it's called. Um, so I, wonder if you, if they, I wonder if they had a sausage sizzle. Well, if you vote on Election Day in Antarctica, and I think there's probably still about eight there, or there's 50 in total, isn't there, or 60 people in Antarctica. I don't so. know. I haven't been there for a while. Well, I've, I've never been. But say there are eight or nine people. Well, their votes have all got to be counted. You might be in London. You might be in New York. You might be anywhere in the world. You can still vote up until 6 o'clock. Right. So, so how long? So they give it till the 17th of December yeah. for those votes. So some seats mightn't be known until then if they're really, really But the chances held. are that we are going to know because it will be more in favour of what... It won't come down to a handful of votes. Well, the polls are saying that, but they've been wrong before. But the other thing that's happened is that the good thing is, you know how I... This has always been my bugbear. Why do they not count votes on Sunday? They have one job every four years for a state election. You think they could, and the excuse always was it's triple time. You go, for heaven's sake, there's one election every four years or federally every three years. Work on us, and they have done that for the last state election or two. But this year, and it was only announced um, on the Monday. Well, 
on, well, we're recording this podcast. Where are we Thursday? It was only announced on Wednesday. The um, I think you've had too much of Miles's gin. The Chief Electoral Commissioner, Warwick Gately, is going in for surgery and is sadly not available over the weekend to do his job. Now... Well, he can't help that. Well, I, of course he can't, but it's pretty unfortunate. Well, they think they get I mean, the, the deputy guy, to step. So you're saying this is his big moment and he's unfortunately unwell. Unfortunately, he's missing out. So he is also, I think he was a West Australian electoral commissioner as well. Anyway, he's not available, so his deputy will have to step in. But I did feel a bit sorry for him and let's hope it's nothing, nothing too serious. Mm. Although you imagine it would be quite serious because you think... It's like Tokyo waiting for the Olympics and they didn't have them that year. Yes, well, you probably wouldn't go for elective surgery, you know, just just before election day, but he's not going to be around, so his deputy will step in. We might be waiting until a week before Christmas. Oh, but it won't be Warwick's fault. No, it won't be Warwick's fault, but it does seem, you know, you can't do it all online. Everything has to be manhandled and posted. handled by men or women. women women and manhandled. As opposed to, imagine doing it online. Imagine how that could be corrupted. Anyway. Just ask Donald Trump about that one. In a week when Donald Trump has announced he's standing <laughs> nice again segue. for president. That's um, right. Disappointingly, but I'm, I don't think, I hope it won't go anywhere. We might talk about that next hope week. That's not, hope that's not But we, I was words. very pleased, Carol, you know, my dire predictions or fears last week, in last week's podcast, that there would be violence erupting. Well, thankfully, I think they've, they've been very well behaved the Americans with their midterm elections. Anyway, that was last week and now we've just done this week and then we look forward to next week. We do. And then we, we look do. forward to our Christmas party. Have you voted yet? No, I, no, I do it, always do it on the morning with the sausage yeah. sizzle. I reckon, you know I'll, that. I reckon I'll vote today. Oh, no, don't be ridiculous. That is the podcast for this week. Sat on your Thank sausage. you to our supporters, Red Energy. There's 100%. nothing worse than somebody's voted and then go along to the polling booth on the morning just to get the sausage sizzle and they've already voted. That really cheeses me off. Thank you. That can be your grumpy for next week. Australian Electricity and Gas and Prince Wine Store. Visit princewinestore.com.au and don't forget those wonderful top five, a touch of sparkle or whatever it's called, champagne that isn't champagne, which Miles has listed. Um, don't forget we're having a live event, a morning tea in the studio here at South Bank on the 14th of December. Just get online, check the show notes. Miss Jane will tell you exactly how to get tickets. There are some goodies and giveaways as well, chicken sandwiches and a cuppa. So click the booking link in our show notes, as I said, or via our socials or email Jane at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. That's 10.15am on Wednesday, the 14th of December. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You know how to get our show notes. I've given you the email. As I said, it's feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Corrie, I don't know how you do it. I'm exhausted now. Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's Most Trusted Energy Providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au.